The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Deepak Chopra has famously said that at a quantum level at least, aging is a mistake. Well, if that's true, it's a mistake made by all animals and plants for that matter. Maybe instead of seeing it as a mistake, we need to see it as an opportunity, one that not everybody gets. Today, we'll be celebrating animals in maturity and the exquisite new book, Allowed to Grow Old, Portraits of Elderly Animals from Farm Sanctuaries. Greetings. I am your host, Victoria Moran, and you can learn more about what we're up to at Main Street Vegan on my website, MainStreetVegan.net. Please subscribe to our blog and check out our film, A Prayer for Compassion, which will have its UK premiere coming right up May 23rd at the Prince Charles Theatre in London. If you're there or you have friends there, please let them know. So many vegan and veg-friendly events are happening all over the place. It's hard to keep up these days. June 7th and 8th is a huge plant-based world expo at the Javits Center in New York City. And after the break, I will, in fact, be bringing on the man behind the expo. But right now, let's get back to those elder animals and introduce artist, writer, and activist Issa Lesko. Her images of elderly farmed animals have been published in the Atlantic, Boston Globe, The Guardian, Harper's, and The New York Times. She is the author of Allowed to Grow Old, which has just been published by the University of Chicago Press. Welcome, Issa. Thank you for having me. I have to tell you, I have periodic favorite books. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and yours is in that spot now. The, the picture on the cover of, of an elderly pot-bellied pig oh, is absolutely worth owning this book. And then you open it up. You see the other images. You read what you have to say from knowing these beings. And I have to say, I, I consider this book a sacred object. Thank you so much for doing wow. it. Thank you. I, I'm I'm really honored that uh, my work has touched you uh, like this. 
Thank you. Well, it has indeed, because the animals themselves have, have touched me and you've, you've brought me their stories. So why elderly farmed animals? Where did this all start? Well, um, I had begun the series uh, by accident, actually. Um, I had a chance encounter with a blind old horse named Petey, and I was just so drawn to Petey, uh, and I didn't quite know why, but I ran into the house uh, where uh, Petey, uh, Petey's guardians live and uh, grabbed my camera and spent the afternoon photographing him. And it wasn't until I looked at the images that I began to kind of make a connection with um, why I was so drawn to him. And that was because I had spent the last few years helping my sister care for uh, our parents, um, my mom in particular had Alzheimer's disease. And um, that experience uh, really had a profound effect on me. Um, and I knew it was going to somehow emerge in my work, but it wasn't until I began uh, looking at my images of Petey that I had the sense that, okay, let me try photographing some other geriatric animals and kind of look at uh, my grief and my fear of aging um, from having seen my mom's decline. But then as I met rescued farm animals and I heard their stories, um, I, my motivation for making the work changed. Um, it seemed selfish for me to photograph these animals for any other reason other than advocating on their behalf. So at that point, uh, my motivation changed, and I was approaching these images as portraits. And I wanted to reveal something unique about each animal I photographed, because I wanted viewers of the images to realize that these animals are sentient beings. They think, and they feel, and they have unique personalities. So that was my goal in creating the book. Well, it's a beautiful goal. And honestly, listeners, if you are a vegan, if you are an animal protection person and you do not have allowed to grow old on your coffee table, you are missing so many opportunities to get the point across. There's something about these animals in their later years, later months in some cases, that speaks volumes. So please, please, please check out this book. So Issa, how did you find the animals? How did you choose the sanctuaries? Yeah, um, well, I, it was important to me that I um, photograph uh, rescued uh, animals. And uh, I had not realized uh, until I began the project that there is a network of sanctuaries that are dedicated to rehabilitating and providing permanent homes to these rescued farm animals. So I began visiting them um, across the country. And I also, though, included in the book uh, companion animals, elderly dogs, um, uh, because I wanted to raise some questions uh, to viewers about why we pamper some animals and butcher others. So interspersed in the book, there are also animals uh, or portraits of elderly dogs to kind of, uh, you know, encourage people to think about that. 
the one dog that you said had been a companion for 21 years, I showed his picture to my dog and I said, this is your role model. This is your longevity role model. You're supposed to live long, just, just like him. So maybe that means I'm some kind of stage mother setting him up for low self-esteem, but I'd love to have my Forbes around for 21 years. So how did you approach creating these images? I think that for most of us who are just amateur photographers, it's very, very difficult. It's sometimes just a matter of luck to get a, a wonderful image of an animal. We tend to have more luck with humans and bowls of fruit. So how is it photographing these animals? So I wanted to approach the images as portraits, um, and it was important to me that the image uh, reveals something unique about that animal. It wasn't, uh, I wasn't just going for a beautiful picture of a pig. I wanted a beautiful portrait of Violet that told us something about who she is. And it was also important to me that I photograph the animals on their terms and not mine. I wanted them to be as relaxed and as comfortable as possible. I didn't want to be in the picture. And by that, I mean, I wanted the, uh, I didn't want to photograph the animals responding to my presence. I wanted them to be so relaxed that I could really just observe who they are and photograph them um, behaving as naturally as possible. So I spent a lot of time with each animal. Um, Rescued farm animals can sometimes be a little wary of strangers, so it would sometimes take a few days to develop a rapport with the animals I was photographing. And sometimes I would spend a few hours lying on the ground, um, not taking any pictures, just Um, getting to know the animal and becoming friends. Um, And uh, it was also important when I was photographing uh, the animals that I tried to uh, be as close as possible and photograph them at eye level. I thought that photographing an animal from above uh, was not respectful. But I also wanted viewers to look these animals in their eyes and have uh, a moment with them um, and appreciate their sentience. Well, you've certainly accomplished that. (laughs) So I know it's not good to play favorites, but are there some animals in the book who will live in your heart forever? Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. Um, it is really hard. Um, uh, I would say, uh, Melvin was one of my favorites. He was an Angora goat who lived at farm sanctuaries, uh, Orland location. Um, they closed the location a few years ago. Um, but I visited Orland numerous times while working on the project and he would, uh, put his front hooves up on the fence, uh, when Staff approached his enclosure, and uh, uh, by the end of my first day with him, he would do that when I would approach. And he, uh, it was actually pretty challenging to photograph him because every time I got down on the ground to um, to photograph him, he would approach me and uh, bump up against me, uh, asking for petting um, and uh, licking my uh, face. And uh, we had a lot of fun, but uh, that was uh, a challenging uh, uh, to photograph. Um, 
he was challenging the photograph for that reason. Um, but I, I would say Valentino, uh, who was a Holstein uh, cow, who was a dairy industry survivor, probably had the biggest impact on me. And that was because um, I had been a vegetarian for many years, um, I'd say from my early 20s. Um, and um, I thought I was uh, consuming an ethical diet. Um, I purchased only organic dairy products that came from grass-fed cows. Um, and I just didn't think about what happened to cows after they didn't produce milk any longer. And I didn't think about male calves. And then I met Valentino and I heard his story. And he uh, had arrived at Farm Sanctuary as a two-week-old frail calf. He had a lot of health problems. He had lax tendons. He needed months of physical therapy. And eventually, uh, with a lot of love and patience, he grew up to be this uh, gentle giant <laughs> and I met him when he was 19 years old he was the oldest living Holstein at Farm Sanctuary uh, at that time and I as I was photographing him um, and you know keeping his story in mind I was thinking about how many Valentinos were denied old age because I liked cream in my coffee and butter and after I was photographing, after I finished photographing him, I hugged him and petted him, and he licked me, and his tongue had that same kind of sandpapery texture as my cat's tongues. And once I made that connection, I, I, I would... I just couldn't eat dairy products any longer. So Valentino, I, I think I, I could safely say, had the most profound impact on my life. What a wonderful vegan story. Everyone is valuable, but the ones where an animal is, is the perpetrator <laughs> to get that yeah. thing going is just best of all, best of all. Now, sometimes it's a people who care about non-human animals are told that we anthropomorphize. So when you use the term, for example, portrait, some people would say, oh, poo-poo, that's just what you do you know, with your great niece. You don't do a portrait with a pig. <laughs> Help us with anthropomorphism. <laughs> so, you know, if you define anthropomorphism as attributing emotions to non-human animals, I am unabashedly uh, someone, uh, I, I unabashedly embrace anthropomorphism in my work. I think it's really arrogant to assume that humans are the only beings on this planet who are capable of emotions. And, you know, what's interesting is Darwin had even postulated that humans had inherited emotions from animals. Um, and it wasn't until the early 1900s when the scientific community, particularly animal behaviorists, began rejecting that hypothesis and started thinking of animals as just, uh, you know, uh, basically a animal behavior as a result of hardwired reflexes and learned associations. 
And, you know, that is just really anyone who has spent time with a dog or with a cat can tell that they have emotions. And similarly, when you spend time with farm animals, you see that they have these emotions. So I think it actually is a lot more sentimental to believe that the animals who are uh, suffering on factory farms don't feel anything than to actually consider the fact that they really do feel uh, emotional and physical pain as a result of the way they're treated. Absolutely. Now, there, there's another Holstein uh, who is important in your work, and that is Bessie. And there's a poster <laughs> of her. Tell us about that. Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah, um, so Bessie was another one who uh, I just absolutely uh, adored. Um, she lived at the Sato Safe Haven um, in Sultan, uh, Washington, and Posados uh, is such a special place. Um, when I first pulled up at Posados, there was a sign that read, sweet creatures who pass this way once scared and alone. Now you are safe. Now you are home. And I, I just bawled when I saw it uh, for the first time. Um, and, um, you know, all these sanctuaries are really special. Um, there's just something incredible, uh, incredibly peaceful uh, being surrounded by animals who have been rescued and who are living in freedom and who feel safe and loved. So um, I have to say that all of the sanctuaries that I visited, um, I, I really feel a, a strong connection with. Um, Posados is where Bessie lived, and Bessie uh, was also uh, a survivor of the dairy industry. She had been rescued. Um, she was on her way to slaughter when she had been rescued, and I uh, met her um, uh, in her later years, and uh, she just was so sassy. Um, when you look at the picture of her, you'll see this kind of sass in her eyes. Um, I, I just loved that. And uh, I created a poster of her. Um, I have um, uh, three solo shows uh, coming up this year. So um, uh, trying to raise funds uh, for uh, the printing and framing of that, uh, uh, of the work for the shows. So I produced a poster of Bessie. But it was also important to me that I help raise funds for Posados, uh, where uh, Bessie had resided. Um, so 25% of the profits are going to go to Posados as well. Um, but you can visit my website, and um, you can take a look at the poster um, of Bessie. Oh, I want one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you do too... You can go to issaleshko.com. That's I-S-A-L-E-S-H-K-O.com. And I'm very excited that there's going to be at least one gallery showing here in New York, Clamp Art Gallery, October 3rd to November 16th. And then the Griffin Museum of Photography, is that here as well? 
Um, that's actually in the Boston area, um, okay. and uh, they're in Winchester, which is about a half hour from Boston. Okay. Um, yeah, and that's going to be also in the fall, um, October 24th through December 6th. Wonderful, wonderful, and I'm sure all of that is at IssaLeshko.com. And as you were talking, Issa, about the sanctuaries and how magnificent they are, I know that a lot of our listeners have been to sanctuaries, but if this is all new to you and you've never been to a farmed animal sanctuary, I just want to let everybody know about a website that I recently learned about. It's called AnimalConnection.info. And there you can go through a listing. It's not comprehensive because so many new rescues are are starting, but it's a really good listing of animal sanctuaries all over everywhere. And if you happen to be in the New York City or the Philadelphia area, they actually do bus trips. You know, in New York, we don't have cars. Oh, wow, that's great. Uh, (laughs) Sanctuaries within a a two-hour radius. So do check out the good people at animalconnection.info. So, Issa, I wanted to ask you, as you got to know these animal elders and you'd had this experience in in caring for your mother, what insights did you take from that about the fact that we may be feeling younger when we have a really good diet, but we're not getting younger? So, so before diving into that question, I just want to say one thing about the sanctuaries. You know, I, I, I want to do a shout out to the people who work at these sanctuaries. I am completely in awe of them. Um, their jobs are physically and emotionally grueling. They work long hours in extreme temperatures, the extreme cold, extreme heat. They witness firsthand the horrific abuse uh, that the farm animals endure. Um, But they are just unwavering in their dedication to their job and their devotion to the animals and their care. So that's something that... um, I I really, and they will be the last people to want credit. They'll say the animals are the heroes, and they are, but they're also heroes as well. Um, So going back to the question of what I uh, learned about old age, um, you know, I I can't say that uh, my fear of aging has been resolved uh, from working on the project, but I have to say that being around a farm animal who has managed to defy all odds and reach old age, um, it's nothing short of a miracle to be in the presence of an elderly farm animal. And so spending time with these animals who uh, endured so much and yet uh, managed to uh, reach old age uh, in comfort reminded me that aging is really not a curse. It's a luxury. And, um, you know, I'm never going to stop being afraid of Alzheimer's disease. Um, My mom had it. My grandmother had it as well. So, you know, if I lose my keys or forget something that I was about to say, um, you know, I, I... in the back of my mind, there's always that little, is this uh, the first sign of dementia? Um, but I do take inspiration from the animals that I met. And I really hope that as I reach old age that I can um, embrace 
what the future has in store for me with the same grace uh, and stoicism that the animals that I've met um, had shown me. Oh, Issa, that is, is really, really beautiful. So as as you met these beings and, and took lessons from them, what do you want your readers to know? And perhaps even more than that, I know you've just come back from a book tour. What kind of responses are you getting from college students and readers? Um, you know, I, I have been really struck by um, how... Um, much empathy uh, there is um, for the animals um, that I talk about, the animals in my pictures. And it's so heartening to see that, um, you know, we we could definitely use a lot more empathy in the world. Uh, so that is just so beautiful. And I really think that... Um, uh, the best way to win over hearts and minds uh, is often through compassion and empathy and not um, by um, lecturing people <laughs> about veganism. Um, you know, I, there's a, I, I completely understand why some um, activists are angry, um, uh, but I think the best way to reach people is uh, – through their hearts. And I hope that the images in my book do that. They do. And that's how the animals reach us. They, they reach us through our hearts. It's just perfect. So the book is Allowed to Grow Old, Portraits of Elderly Animals from Farm Sanctuaries. There's actually a, a gallery exhibit happening now in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Richard Levy Gallery. That will be up through June 7th. And just in our last 30 seconds, closing <laughs> words on elder animals? Um, you know, love the... Uh, I, I guess I would say if you are considering adopting an animal um, at a shelter, uh, you know, open your heart to a senior animal. Um, uh, and the other thing I would say is support the farm sanctuaries who are caring for these animals. Um, as the animals reach old age, they definitely require more medical care. Um, so uh, helping sponsoring um, uh, senior animals is another great thing. So adopt a senior animal and support senior animal care at the farm sanctuaries. What wonderful advice. We'll do it. Let's <laughs> go. Oh, you, you are so gifted. And thank you for putting your talents into this really important and, and really exquisite work. Everybody else, stay with us. We're going to be talking about a great big old plant-based expo leading to a plant-based world. Stay with us. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly, to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine, or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all. Take a trip with Rev. Paul John Roach every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Central and tune in to World Spirituality. A lifelong student and practitioner of many world spiritual teachings, Paul guides you to the unity and common values shared by all world religions. We really are all connected. Take a journey with Paul and explore our planet's spiritual landscape with insight, humor, and practical advice for all. Join the show with your question or comment right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Good to have you back for a dazzling second half of the Main Street Vegan program. If you like what goes on here, please give us five stars and a kind review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean such a lot. 
thank you. We'll be sure and uh, play that forward, pay that forward. And remember that for the next month, as we enter our eighth year of programming, I'm reaching out for suggestions for a new closer. You know, I've said, God bless you, eat your veggies at the end since we started way back in June of 2012. And it just might be time for a new line that includes spirituality in honor of our hosting network, Unity Online Radio, and that honors the vegan lifestyle too. So if you have an idea, post that on the Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners Facebook group or message me at my website, MainStreetVegan.net. The winner will receive an hour-long Skype or phone consult with me. So thanks in advance for your creativity. My next guest is Benjamin Davis, who went plant-based a mere three years ago and is now putting on the biggest, most enterprising expo about plant-based living ever conceived. It is the first professional event designed to bring the plant-based movement to a mainstream audience. It's coming to the Javits Center in New York City. And for those of you who don't know New York, it's one of these giant conference centers. This is where they have things like Comic-Con. I mean, they have these amazing, huge, huge groups. Guess what? It's going to be taken over by a whole bunch of people who eat plants and don't eat animals. The event features an expo floor with over 100 leading plant-based brands and distinct educational tracks for business professionals, healthcare professionals, and consumers. The mission? To expand the plant-based industry and movement behind it for the purpose of creating a healthier, more sustainable world for all beings. Welcome, Ben Davis. Thank you so much, Victoria. It's great to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you, and and you sound so uh, alert. <laughs> and I know that doing any kind of event is difficult, and an event of this magnitude, even though I know you're working with the, the team at JD Events, and they've been doing all kinds of trade shows forever, you still must be putting in 16-hour days. Is it the kale that's saving you? <laughs> there is quite a bit of kale, for sure. <laughs> um, but I also eat quite a bit of vegan mac and cheese, too, so I think it all balances <laughs> out in the end. It probably does. So to me, having been in this work for such a long time, you just got here and look what you're doing. So did you have some sort of major epiphany? Tell us your story. Yes. So uh, it's a great question. I'm happy to share. Um, like you said, it's only been a few years since I've been uh, living this vegan lifestyle and certainly have evolved quite a bit over the course of that time to get to where I am now and working on this project. Um, so just to dive in a little bit on how I got here, um, just a few years ago I was actually living out in Denver, Colorado, um, which is where I moved after college and I was uh, doing um, music professionally, touring the country as an electronic music producer. I had um, I have a project, a music project called Vibe Street that mixes um, bluegrass and folk and jam music with hip hop electronic dance beats and creates this um, funky dance party that I had been taking around the country to music festivals and shows and uh, was doing that professionally living out in Denver just a few years ago. Um, and so that's kind of the first piece of the story because of the experience with music and having the 
um, opportunity to travel and to meet so many people and to see the power of community that comes from music, I think was really the first piece to introducing me to a more open perspective on the world. Uh, and the first major portion of that, I was uh, I like to describe myself as being not just a meat eater, but an obnoxious meat eater, the kind that would kind of make fun of you if you ever told me that I would eat any other way. Um, and so that's where the second piece of my transformation kind of comes in. Um, I was dating a girl at the time uh, who um, she had been vegetarian for much of her life for a lot of ethical reasons and then had to go fully vegan for some health reasons. And I really enjoyed cooking for her and started getting creative with what I was cooking to make plant-based meals that she could eat while continuing to make uh, you know, meat and, and animal products on the side for myself. And kind of pretty quickly over the course of doing that, started to really enjoy what I was making for her, started to understand more of the uh, environmental aspects of, of what meat, eating meat entailed, and um, ultimately decided to cut out some of the red meat I was eating, which led me to ask more of the ethical questions of whether I'd be eating these animal products if uh, I was having to kill these animals myself. And when I really looked at myself honestly with that question, the answer was that I wouldn't. And so there was a, a period of time, maybe you know, a six-month stretch a few years ago, where I had to really look myself in the in the face and decide whether I wanted to continue doing this thing that brought me pleasure at the time, which was eating meat, or to live in line with who I, you know, was able to believe that I was, which is someone who wouldn't be um, causing harm to animals if it was me having to do it. And when I finally made that decision, um, it, it really opened me up quite a bit. And I started to eat, you know, it was close to fully vegan at the time. I now am fully vegan. Um, and over the course of those next few years, but even really right off the bat, my, my own perspective on, on myself and my purpose in life really started to evolve and started to see how you know, uh, all things are connected in this world and, and, and gained a better understanding of what I could contribute to making the world a better place in the process. Um, that kind of led me on this journey to be doing something um, that can really have a direct impact on helping make the world a better place through helping people learn how to eat more plants um, with the project that we're working on right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything that we can do better. There's certainly so much that needs to be changed in the world. There's so many worthy causes. But if you don't have a lot of time and there's only one thing you can do, <laughs> eat more plants. Mm -hmm. Great start. Great start. So why do you feel that this shift is so important in our world today? And I love how you call this. You don't just say plant-based conference. I'm going to ask you about the plant-based thing. But right now I'm going to ask you about world. You call it plant-based world conference and expo. What's a plant-based world look like and why is it so important? Another great question. And, you know, I think when when we were coming up with what to call this conference, it, it really, this kind of came, came pretty naturally um, because it's more than just an event. It's more than just a bunch of speakers coming together. It's more than just a bunch of products being showcased. Um, it really is embodying the notion that our culture and civilization and, and the world we live in is evolving to where, you know, if we want to continue to exist, we have to change the way that we behave and interact with the world around us. Um, and so I kind of see it from two different angles. There's the really practical side that I think a lot of people, um, especially in this day and age, are finding it easier and easier to grasp, which is, you know, eating meat has a much higher impact on the environment. It's not 
particularly healthy for our bodies and the animals that we're eating aren't treated very well. Um, and most people can kind of grasp that and, and realize, you know, maybe eating more plants is a good idea. Um, and then for me on more of uh, a philosophical spiritual level, which is um, where I find my mind quite a bit of the time, um, you know, I think that our relationship with the natural world really makes a lot more sense if we're um, you know, eating the food that the earth naturally and abundantly provides for us um, and sharing that food with, with the other beings that we share this planet with and not causing them harm in the process since uh, in this day and age we don't have to. Um, and, you know, there's the, the idea of, you know, when I think of how, you know, easy it is for someone to just grow, grow their own food and vegetables and how hard it is to actually eat all of the food that you grow in your garden and needing to share it with other people. Um, my mind can quickly go to a, a place where I can see, um, you know, how, how much abundance of food really is available to us when the earth is providing it for us through plants. And so, um, you know, I think there's kind of those two sides. I see us evolving to a place where more and more people can see the world that way and see that a lot of the issues that we have that we're facing with regards to feeding a growing population and keeping the planet alive and, and sharing it with all the beings here, um, that, that shifting away from eating animals and, and eating more plants is really such a simple way for us all to have an impact in our, that a choice we can make in our own lives that really does impact so many other aspects of our world. It does for sure. So I love it that you're doing an expo, you're doing a conference that is live and in person. So much of our lives are virtual today. So why a fully plant-based trade show and expo conference? So, you know, I think coming from the music background is a big piece of, of why I see the in-person interaction as being so important. You know, I really got to see how um, the power of bringing people together around a common passion, you know, that whether that's music or, um, you know, plant-based eating or, or whatever it is, having human beings, especially in today's world where, like you said, it is so virtual in so many ways, coming together to to shake hands and meet and preferably give each other hugs, which is you know, my preferred way of greeting, um, and really building community around uh, a shared passion or topic is such a great way to really humanize everybody and allow ideas to be shared. And in this space in particular, it's evolving so fast. There's so many new people launching businesses and projects and creative ideas that um, we all have so many resources available to help one another if we're just able to connect. Um, and so, you know, that's that's where I think the trade show comes in in, in this space because it's it can. There's something about having people meet in person. Um, you know, attending sessions and panels is great. Walking the expo hall to try products is great. But just the fact that you're there meeting people with um, with their own resources and their own ideas that you can not only become um, network with, but also become friendly with and, and support one another allows for so much collaboration and, and new ideas to form that were never possible before. Oh, that is so beautiful. I, I'm such a champion of in-person when you can get it. You know, I do my Main Street Vegan Academy that trains the vegan coaches in person here in New York City. And I think if I had a dollar for every time somebody has said, why don't you put it online? I don't know, I could start a faux meat company. But <laughs> I say to people, 
why did you take your honeymoon to Paris? Well, because Paris is magical, but you could have watched a video of Paris and then they get it. There's something about bringing your body. It just makes such a difference. So are there tickets available for June 7 and 8? Can people still get in on the Plant-Based World Expo? Absolutely, yes. So, um, you know, our website is plantbasedworldexpo.com and we have all of the information there. Um, we do have a few different options for people to come and attend depending on where you're coming from in the space and what your goals are. Um, so both Friday and Saturday are open to our professional audience or anyone who really wants to dive in by attending a full conference. So we have a healthcare conference, which is actually programmed by our partners, the Plantrition Project. It's all CE credited education on whole food plant-based nutrition for doctors, physicians, health coaches, trainers, anybody in that line of work um, with all, all the big names that, that you'd love to see if you're familiar with the space like Dr. Colin Campbell and Michael Greger and um, Dr. Esselstyn and Ornish and, and a handful of others. Um, so a lot of people are really excited about that. And then we also have a business forum, which we're working with, um, I know your friend, Nils Zacharias, and my friend as well from Eat for the Planet, um, called the Eat for the Future Business Forum, which is designed for a totally different audience of people in the food industry uh, who are looking to better understand how consumers are shifting more towards plant-based options. So that's for retailers and um, you know people working in grocery stores or restaurants, um, you know, and even people working for restaurants like, for example, Burger King that are starting to add plant-based options onto their yeah. menus have an opportunity to come and learn, you know, how, how do we incorporate more plant-based options onto menus? And, and with that in mind, it kind of goes back to our philosophy of being for a main street, main, main street, mainstream audience. You can do that too. <laughs> Because, you know, our idea is that as great as it is to for anyone who wants to make the decision to go fully vegan and to live that lifestyle, um, you know, we understand that that's not the right decision for everybody right now. And it's not where everybody is in their own personal journey. And so to be able to accept uh, businesses and and leaders and, and change makers wherever they are and help them understand, you know, if you're a restaurant and you want to learn how to provide one plant-based option for your customers so that you can uh, you know, welcome new customers into your establishment, then we want to be a resource for that as well. Um, and then just to finish answering that question, if you're just a member of the general public who isn't necessarily ready to dive in on a two days of, um, you know, in-depth education, uh, we do have, um, we're calling Saturday Community Day and selling tickets to just the general public. So for 25 bucks, you can come in and walk the expo floor and try the products. Um, and, and also an option to add on community education sessions where we have you know, great folks like Gene Bauer and Borough President Eric Adams, um, among, among other leaders in the movement who are going to be speaking on topics that pertain to um, just helping individuals who are looking to live a more plant-based lifestyle and under the understand the benefits that come along with it um, to check it out. So we've got a few different options. And even beyond that, if if you are a healthcare professional or a, a business professional who just wants to come and check out the expo floor, we have an option for a complimentary pass for those professionals to come in and just walk the expo floor and, and try all the latest products because we really want to make this as accessible to everyone as possible for the sake of growing the whole market and movement. Oh, it sounds like a great, big, fabulous carnival. <laughs> I, I want to ask you a question. I find it really interesting. You have chosen to use the term plant-based and you're working with the plantrition project for the healthcare part of it. And yet we all know that the big vegan business push where the investment money is going, 
where, where the press is going, where the growth is, are in processed foods. This is not broccoli. This is something different from that. So these kinds of foods are the kinds of foods that the physicians in the Plantrition Project tell people not to eat. They say, don't eat animal products, don't eat processed foods. And yet all of that Javits Center is going to be probably full, I don't know, three quarters with processed foods. So how do we join forces? To me, we're much too small to splinter off. So how can we, and it sounds like you've done it actually, come together with the idea of, well, you know, maybe I as a healthcare provider I'm not going to eat that particular burger, but thank goodness it's here to save the planet and the animals. Tell me how it all comes together. I'm really glad you asked that question because it's so incredibly relevant. And it's so relevant that actually we have programmed a session specifically on that topic in our business forum um, that is focused specifically on uh, the where food technology, which is such a hot topic these days, as as you said, and nutrition actually intersect. Um, so to kind of realize that we don't need to be at odds with each other, um, and while for the most part processed foods, especially through our history, have have led to um, you know unhealthy lifestyles, and the kind of knee jerk reaction to that would be to cut out all processed foods and to eat only whole plant foods and for anybody who's able to and willing to do that, then that's that's great. And we're not trying to tell anybody not to eat all whole plant foods if they can. Um, but I think the realistic side of it is not everybody has the option or ability to go to an entirely whole food plant-based diet. A lot of people are wanting to eat less animal foods. And so where is the middle ground there? And how can we use technology um, in a way that can actually help solve the problem as opposed to contribute to it? Um, and so what, actually the last session in the business forum that we're programming on Saturday is going to be, we have um, Shireen Chow, who's actually the uh, nutrition advisor for the Plant-Based Foods Association. Um, so she's both a nutritionist and works with a lot of these brands that fall into the category you're talking about. Um, and uh, Phaedra Randolph, who has a brand called Sparrow Foods, which is looking to do exactly that, which is create plant-based alternatives to eggs and cheese products. Um, that are actually healthy and not overly processed um, are going to be kind of having this discussion on where we can um, ally with each other in both the nutrition side and the processed food side to create products that are increasingly more and more nutritious um, while also solving all of these problems. And, you know, for an organization like the Plantrition Project, when we approached them about this idea over a year ago to partner with them, um, they're their conference out west, their plant-based nutrition healthcare conference um, that they've been running for six or so years has, you know, generally been, like you said, a fully whole food plant-based and they, you know, don't have any food there that doesn't fall into that category. But they also understood that this market is growing, that there is a huge opportunity for them to be partnered with organizations that are you know, not necessarily shunning products that are processed, but do fall into the category that, that takes advantage of the passion behind the plant-based and vegan movement. And they were excited to be, um, to showcase what, what they have to offer in a new setting and, you know, new going in that they were going to be providing this education alongside an expo that would have products that don't necessarily fall into their recommended uh, diet offerings, but at the same time, will bring in a whole new audience that might not have even been introduced to um, 
their information yet. And so, you know, I think, like you said, it's so important to bring everybody together into one room and realize that we're all after the same thing. You know, that's being healthier and having a, a healthier world. And, you know, um, the fact that we come to it from different angles is something to celebrate and not to bicker over. That is so exciting. And and I love that because there is bickering and I wish there weren't, but I'm told that in every social justice movement and every kind of great force for good in this world, there has always been some of that, I guess, because we are such passionate people. Nobody gets into this who's just like, whatever. <laughs> we really do care. So let's talk for a minute about plant-based. Anybody that listens to my show knows that as a writer, I love words that say precisely what they mean. Mm -hmm. And plant-based is all over the place. It means vegan, or it means super healthy vegan, no sugar, no oil, no salt. Or it means I kind of eat more plants than animals, or I'm kind of vegan till five o'clock, or I do meatless Monday. Mm. So what do we do with this interesting, vague phrase? It's, uh, it's a really interesting thing to think about. And I also, I agree that, you know, the way that words and how we categorize things play into our way of interacting with the world is, is so interesting. Um, and, you know, I think that maybe, maybe the idea, you know, is kind of what you were, what you're getting at with the multiple meanings of plant-based that rather than being vague and nondescript and misleading in that way, um, maybe that's actually what allows this movement to be opened up to such a wide audience in a way that could be beneficial. Um, so what, you know, what plant-based means to me might be different than what plant-based means to you. It might be different than what plant-based means to someone who just stopped by White Castle for an Impossible Burger, um, you know, but, but just the fact that all of a sudden that person who went and had the Impossible Burger at White Castle or, um, you know, did their vegan before six thing or whatever it is, the fact that they are even using these words in their daily lives. And, you know, when I think you'll probably agree that it's the kind of thing where, where once you hear the words and, and kind of recognize it as a part of our, our culture, it starts to pop up everywhere. I think that's something that's happened with a lot of people just through working on this project is family and friends that I'll introduce the concept to will be um, a little unsure of what I'm talking about at first. And then a week later, they'll send an email saying, I've been seeing plant-based in every news article I've seen. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and their definition of plant-based might be totally different for them as to what it means to me. But just the fact that the words plant-based are popping up in their mind and in their daily lives, and they're starting to maybe research it or, um, you know, read an article here or there or try some new foods. Um, you know, the fact that it is so accessible makes it, um, makes it easy for people to connect with it. Whereas, you know, a word like vegan, whereas it's something that you or I might feel really excited uh, to identify with, doesn't necessarily have that same openness attached to it. It makes someone feel like they have to really make a drastic lifestyle change in order to fit into a certain group or category and might um, not be as willing to, to go there or might trigger some kind of defense or, or fear along with that. And I think that's what's so great about plant-based. It's, it, you know, to me, in, in general and in a broad sense, it really just means, you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging and recognizing that the more plants I can eat, the better. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a sacrifice. It doesn't have to, you know, I don't have to change my identity over it. But, you know, I, I can see that the world that I, it's a decision that I can make in my daily life to eat more plants. And that decision um, directly and immediately impacts the world around me in a positive way. And that's something that's really easy for people to connect with and, and take baby steps towards. 
Ben Davis plant-based world conference and expo. I asked that question of a lot of people, that plant-based question, and I think you win the prize. <laughs> I think you do. So as, as we wind down here, Ben, this is so exciting what you're doing. I can hardly wait to be there. What makes this movement different? It, it, it's, it's an industry, it's a cause, it, it's a moral imperative. How does it fit in everything that's going on in the world and, and how does community and, and collaboration play into your vision for the kind of world you're looking at? Well, you know, I think it's just when, when you think about most industries from more of a business sense, uh, the word and idea of competition really comes to mind and people who are, you know, really looking to by being successful, it almost implies that you have that someone else isn't successful. And what I've found, I mean, you know, even in my short time of getting the opportunity to connect with people in this industry, whether they're leaders of kind of more of the social movement or entrepreneurs or investors, what's become so clear is that competition is really secondary and and if anything used as um, you know a motivator to create positive change rather than really kind of capitalizing on on others and, and building something for more more personal gain um, and it, it'll it allow, it's allowed me to really see how capitalism in our our society that um, you know, requires us to to make a living and to have a successful business with with revenue and profit can be used to create positive change for the world. That, let's uh, let's you know, do industry, that. <laughs> Sorry can, to cut you off, Ben. I see we're almost at our time, but hooray for all of it. May, may this expo be the first of many. Thanks for all that you do to create a kinder, healthier, and saner world. It is the Plant-Based World Conference and Expo. We'll put all that information on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net and information about the beautiful book, Allowed to Grow Old, as well. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Unity Online Radio. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.